Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation to Freedom's Path Recovery Society. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing your services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality and sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening. The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path or any other organization. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Whereabouts are you, if I can ask? So I'm in, uh, I just told Darcy, I'm in Alaska. I'm basically on the coast of the Bering Sea right now. Wow. I can, and I can see the Bering Sea. Well, really? Technically, right now, I mean, right now it's, it's kind of frozen over like on, on the coast. So, I mean, I can see where the Bering Sea should be. Oh, I see. Okay, <laughs> for sure. So the Bering Sea, that's where you can almost walk right across to Russia, right? that's kind of the, the the running gag but i mean yeah. theoretically no you can't but yeah i, I, mean, I mean i guess you could if it did freeze deep enough absolutely. i suppose yeah, yeah but that's absolutely. right on yep. so so hey man i don't know if you um if you listen to the show or not uh but yeah just want to hear your story man of experience strength and hope because i am sure there are lots of people out there that can that can learn and get some lots of stuff from it I hope so, man. I mean, I'm, I can, I can share what I have to offer, but yeah, I've seen uh, a couple of your episodes. Um, uh, you have my sponsor on here before and you have uh, a good friend from, from my group. So that's, I'm familiar with the, the podcast and, and uh, thank you for, for letting me be a part of it. I appreciate that. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's our pleasure. And yeah, for sure. You take it away, sir. I'm excited to hear your story. All right, I guess I'll try to make it a good one. Uh, um, Let's do it. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm a little, little nervous. I've really done nothing like this before, but um, oh, that's okay. I'll just it's nerve. It's nerve wracking, Clayton, for sure. It is. It is, you know. But I, I, I think it's going to be good just to get it out, you know, because I never had a chance mm-hmm. to really just kind of let it all out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, part of, uh, you know, addiction and everything is, is keeping all that shit hidden and secret and, and internalized, you know, at least it was for me, but, um, but boy, oh boy, have I learned a lot about it since then. So, um, I guess I'd start at the beginning. Seems like a good place to start. Um, so I'm the youngest out of six boys. I have Grew up with five older brothers, um, born and raised in Southern California, basically uh, L.A., um, right outside of L.A. Um, born into a family of addicts. Born, I think I was just kind of doomed from the start, you know. Um, 
um, addicts all around me, you know, and um, my parents were both druggies and I grew up seeing it my whole life. Um, so from like the earliest time I can remember, you know, my parents were, um, I can be drug specific on, on podcasts, right? Yeah, for okay. sure. You betcha. There's no constraints on here, man. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so I grew up, you know, and had meth, alcohol, everything around me my whole life, you know. Um, back then in the early days, it was still like the pill form, the cross tops or whatever, you know, my parents were young, but, um, you know, they started making meth at a, you know, when I was young. I remember watching them, you know, blowing pipes and doing all that when I was a little kid, not knowing what the hell it was, but you know, they weren't trying to hide it from me. So I assumed it was normal. I assumed it was just what people did, you know. Um, but being the youngest out of six boys, like my parents were, well, first off, my dad was always seemed to be gone. You know, my mom always locked herself in her room, um, basically just getting high and, and shutting off to the world. So um, me and my brothers were kind of on our own. Um, we never had like active parents who were, you know, trying to teach us how to do the right thing and trying to raise us. And so we kind of raised each other. And um, by raise each other, I mean, the older ones looked out for the younger ones. And I want to say looked out, but that might be giving too much credit. I mean, it was not easy. Um, it, it, you know, being the youngest of, of six, you know, it, it, every day was just a constant battle for survival you know um everything from getting the shit kicked out of you to you know being um excluded from everything so this this is something that i'm probably going to touch base on later on because there was a lot of um a lot a lot of scars around that that i've carried in my life mm-hmm. through addiction you know at uh, um, being excluded not being valued not being good enough not being um worthy enough to be part of anything you know um always being like mistreated and um you know every day was a constant battle to be loved and included you know i looked up to my brothers like gods you know and had all i wanted was them to like me and them to include me and them to you know um but that that's not what happened you know with, with parents that were gone the older one just, it, it was a free-for-all, you know, there's just always people in, in and out of the houses, they always just filled with, with druggies, and, and I, I guess I, I grew up quick, I grew up fast, I grew up hard, um, there were some benefits to that, but, you know, I think the thing I was really missing was good role models, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, everyone around me was, was, using drugs and um, I mean, that's all I ever know. But as a kid, I kind of had something going on for me. Like I, I always thought that I was destined for, for good things. You know, I always had a mentality of, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna grab the world by the balls and fucking conquer the world. And, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be somebody, I'm gonna make history. I'm gonna, you know, um, I always had that, that feeling about myself, you know, um, but, you know, growing up, 
starving, growing up poor, growing up with, you know, no food in the house, growing up with, you know, um, having to, to basically fight for, for survival between, you know, non-existent parents and brothers who just wanted to beat your ass and, and kick you out of anything they were doing, you know. Um, I had to fend for myself a lot and be kind of on my own. And um, it, it led to a lot of traits that I'll probably touch base on earlier, but I feel kind of scattered. Um, I'm going to be jumping around a little bit, but sorry Sounds about good, that. Man. Uh, very few stories are linear anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when it comes to humans. <laughs> um, so, you know, when I was younger, like I was a little like overachiever, I guess. I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I, I grew up quick. So um, I was always accelerated for my age, you know, in terms of, um, uh, intelligence or education or ambition or just certain things like that I was always um, like I said I thought I was gonna conquer the world and and um, but it wasn't until you know um, I guess junior high that well actually before yeah before that is, is when I kind of started making the shift you know from being a, a good little boy to <laughs> to my life as a druggie. And um, so it, it started, you know, without getting, you know, the attention that I sought from my parents, my brothers, you know, those around me. So I started finding the attention in, in the wrong places, as most often people do. And um, started hanging out with, with um, you know, the wrong crowd and, and finding um, attention in, uh, things that are illegal, immoral, and just frowned upon by society. Because finally, you know, this is, there's something I'm, I can fit in and, and be appreciated that. Um, so it was probably like, the shift happened like seventh grade. So let me, let me back up a little bit. Um, so at the time, like around this time, um, my mom ended up going to prison for, um, some white collar crimes, I guess. And, um, and our family got split up. Um, my uh, half of the brothers kind of went and said, fuck this and did their own thing. You know, the other half kind of um, went to go with my dad, but he, again, wasn't, wasn't a good father. He was non-existent. He basically provided a roof, but that was, that was it, you know, I, I was never there emotionally, he's never there to, to talk, to, to do anything. Um, and it was hard really getting a relationship with him because, you know, he used to beat my ass as a kid and um, I'd go to school with um, bruises and welts all over me. And, and, and I remember it was changing in, in gym and teachers saw it and then called child services on, on us, had come down and, um, so he had a short temper and um, I used to get the, the, the shitty end of it uh, most of the time. And for reasons I really to this day don't even, understand, don't even know why. Um, but with him, you know, having a short temper and, um, and my mom being, you know, non-existent, she'd lock herself in the room just so she can get high. And then if, we, if we we're hungry or needed attention or something, we'd knock on the door. 
she'd scream at us and say that, you know, she has high blood pressure and so she can't come out, right? Um, so as a kid, I used to think that my mom was dying in there. I said, oh my God, I'd get all scared, start crying, be like, you know, brothers start getting too loud. Be like, no, don't, mom, mom has high blood pressure. You're gonna kill her mm. if you're too loud, you know? And so just a lot of fear and a lot of, you know, I just, um, um, you know, and, and not having that, that, that support and, and just always being shat on by the rest of the family and, and by you know, the brothers and everything. It, you know, I grew up not thinking I wasn't, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't um, worthy of being loved. I wasn't um, worthy to be included in anything. You know, no one gave a fuck about me. And you know, I think my parents were cared about my well-being. So it just, I felt just isolated and like an outcast from the get-go, you know, um, until I started meeting people from the wrong side of the tracks and, um, you know, right around like seventh grade and, you know, I started smoking cigarettes, started drinking, started smoking weed, started, you know, um, which is funny because, you know, like I had, I always thought I had a good head on my shoulders, but couldn't help but just having a, a, a knack for 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 the dark side you know and, um, and I remember um, I got a, a, a assault with a deadly weapon charge and I was in seventh grade I think or eighth grade which followed me for a while so by the time I was in high school I had a, a, a you know one of the only kids that had a probation officer that would come to school and and check up on me and so high school was uh, high school was interesting um you know if you looked at me i had long ass hair you know, always wore like heavy metal t-shirts ripped up jeans you know doc martin boots uh, either a leather jacket or a trench coat or something you know anybody seen you know i'd be walking between my classes smoking cigarettes and um, you know, anybody saw me and they think, okay, you're, you know, um, uh, troublemaker, you know, bottom of the barrel scumbag sort of thing. But it's funny because I, you know, would get like straight A's, get good grades, like always at the top of all my classes, you know, the, the teachers loved me because they saw me, they, they, uh, you know, it, I, I like to like just fuck around with the stereotypes, I guess. You'd see me and you'd think one thing, but, you know, what I did on the back end, you know, was uh, totally blew all that away. Mm -hmm. And um, so I remember I'd have like my probation officer come in and like, we had open campus at lunch. I'd take off, we'd go get high, I'd, you know, I'd bring booze with me. We'd be getting drunk at lunch, you know, smoking cigarettes, got a backpack full of weed, coming back to campus and then there's the dean and my PO standing there waiting for me to cross the field and say, hey, you know, Mr. Connor, you, um, you know, how you doing? Like, can I check your backpack? You know, you got anything you shouldn't have on you? I'd be like, hi, it's a kid. I'm like, here, check it, you know, bluffing them. And then like, no, no, we don't worry about you. So I guess the, the good thing that I had going for me was the ambition, you know, that I had to rock that, that there was just something that, you know, that was better than, the shit but addiction is is a ugly fucking cunning monster and you know at all the ambition all the drive all this, everything in the world you know it doesn't matter because then you know at that point i was small scale you know just 
smoking weed, drinking, smoking cigarettes. But my ninth grade year, I got introduced to the monster called meth. And everything fucking changed at that point. I remember um, I remember it was, it was the most fucking enjoyable feeling in the world, you know, being feeling like God, you know, feeling like that first time was unfucking believable. And I met someone at a bus stop who we're talking, he ended up giving me a line. I get a line, stayed up for like three or four days off that one line. And um, um, it was a fucking rush. And, and, and that's it. I was hooked. Um, so for the years of high school, you know, I got into it really bad. Um, you know, using daily, using large amounts. Um, my mom was, was cooking it in the apartments where we were living. Um, I was selling drugs for her, you know, um, um, you know, when I go to school, I usually had, had dope on me and I, I have a whole list of people I'm, I'm, I'm selling to, um, you know, I managed to stay in school, but, um, but it was bad. I mean, it, 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 I was using so fucking much that but finally, like after high school, when, my family just just went to shit. Um, everyone kind of went their own way, and again, just kind of left me on my own. So then, I was on my own after high school, and, and you know, tried to do the right thing and get a job. Uh, had my own apartment for a little bit. Uh, you know, going to college, but the drug was too fucking too strong. It, it, it so I I had to watch my life. Um, shatter all around me you know and and i couldn't do anything about it because the fucking love of the drug was more important than anything else you know um you know i i watched people that my friends all around me like everyone dying going to jail getting you know people just go from having a good life down in the fucking gutter you know, um, I remember, I mean, it got to the point where, so let me back up a little bit. So um, um, I was always into art and stuff growing up. You know, my brothers didn't want to include me in anything. So I'd basically just be sitting around drawing all day long. And, um, that, you know, that's, that's all I ever, all I ever did. And it, it, I got to the point where I started getting really good at it and uh, and it became you know something when I was a kid I knew like you know I want to be an artist I want to I want to be an artist when I grow up I want to um, make a living doing that and um, and I did and and I, and I, I got you so um, I, I guess I had a talent for it that uh, that, that carried me along and um, it was always something to, to fall back to or hold on to or everything okay. 
<laughs> yeah, my cat just knocked something over. I don't know what happened back there. Sorry about that, man. Yeah, no worries, no worries. I've got this cat who really doesn't like me talking to anything but him, right? So <laughs> sorry, man, please continue. It's all good. I, I, I'm still trying to figure out where I'm going with all this, but um, no, I'm, no problem. I'm just going to go and just see where it goes. Um, you betcha. So, you know, it, it got to the point where, you know, I, was, I started going to college and, you know, there'd be times I'd be using on and off, but when I really was using, like, it, it, it got to the point where, you know, um, life doesn't fucking matter, man. The only thing that matters is getting that bag, getting fucking high. Um, you start losing everything around you. And I've watched everything being torn from me, you know, one by one and watch everything crumble around me and didn't give a fuck about it because, you know, um, I found hope in the bag. You know, I found self-esteem in the fucking bag of dope. I found, you know, people liked me all of a sudden, you know, but people liked me because I was the one holding the bag, you know, um, people liked me because my insecurities would, would make me latch on to these people here. Well, if I'm supplying you with drugs, then, you know, I, I have all this friendship that, that, you know, it's fake. And, um, and so I basically watched everything crumble around me and, and just kept getting harder and harder and harder than drugs, you know, um, you know, I had lost my jobs. I lost everything at, at one point. You know, I, I lost my job. I was uh, working as a, a manager at a, um, a, a Michael's, you know, framing art store. Then um, I decided to take a risk and, and jump headfirst into my career as an artist. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm glad I did. Basically with no safety net, no experience, no nothing, I, I just dove in and started getting clientele and, and just when things started going good like you know getting money getting clients getting some prestige being this and that you know that just fueled that fucking addiction worse you know because now i have money to, to support my my habit but when you spend all day you know chasing chasing the dope and chasing the pipe chasing the drugs and um nothing else around you you know it, it is important anymore and Again, I got to the point where my family fucking disowned me. Everyone around me disowned me. You know, I stopped. I stopped working because I'd spend all day. You know, I'd, I'd show up to a job, and I'd be there for a half hour, but I'd already be on the phone and fucking going to the dope man's house, and you know, uh, spending the day there trying to to to, to score and um, um, to where everything like you know. I started losing my my work and um, my clientele started dropping off. Um, I didn't give a shit, you know. I was just I was too busy finding peace in, in in the drugs, and it got to the point eventually where I'm you know losing everything around me. I'm it, it's I, I lost my home. I lost everything, you know. I got to the point where I hit fucking rock bottom more than once, you know, but notably uh you know being on the streets and and 
sleeping in my car and um, you know having having nowhere to live and then you know getting your car taken away. I mean, there's point where I had to fucking sleep in my storage unit, you know, because everyone turned their back on me. Everyone, um, you know, I, I couldn't I couldn't stay at the the drug houses because they were getting raided left and right. Um, my own family turned their back on me and and disowned me. Um, you know, car I was sleeping in, I couldn't even afford to, uh, you know, to, to drive that and keep that around. So I had to park that somewhere and eventually got taken, got towed. Um, so at one point I was living in, in this crack house, I guess. Um, um, they were squatting there and, um, uh, I, I, to be honest, I don't even know how the fuck I came across these people, but I think I was introduced from someone else. I'm like, oh yeah, they got a room you can stay in. So you know, I go and stay in this room. You know, the house that basically no water, no trash, no nothing. So you couldn't flush the toilets. The toilets are just filling up with shit, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, you know, uh, no trash service. So the whole backyard is just getting piled with all the trash. And the two people that were living there were total crackheads. And, you know, I was, I was, I was a tweaker, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't get into Coke, um, till a little bit later on, um, you know, but, but I tried it, I, I tried it, you know, the crack, but it was too just short lived and it, it wasn't worth it. You know, like something that was more longer lasting and, and you know, um, so speed, you know, math for me was, was my go-to, it was my jam. Um, but in high school, I was, you know, doing psychedelics, doing LSD and mushrooms, smoking weed, drinking, doing speed all the time. Um, but that, that was my drug of choice that really kind of lasted for a long time. So, um, um, eventually in, in this little crack house, I got sick and tired of, of, the little possessions I had getting robbed from me whenever I'd leave the house for a moment, you know, I'd go try to go score a bag and all of a sudden I'd come back and all my shit would be broken into, everything would be gone. Um, so the few possessions I did have left, you know, were just getting stolen from me. And that's what I didn't try to sell in order to, to get my next fix. But um, there's there's nothing worse in the world than than having to give everything you have just for the fucking high and nothing you you won't eat you won't you, you'll sell your possessions you'll sell heirlooms you'll sell anything that you have that you can get your hands on what you can't get your hands on you're gonna fucking steal and what you can't steal you know you're gonna steal from your own family your own mother your own grandma you know right in front of their face and lie to them about it because it doesn't matter Nothing is sacred. Nothing is fucking sacred except for that drug. Nothing is sacred except for getting your next fix. Nothing is 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 precious anymore, except for the high. And you know, and I watch myself just throw everything away constantly and and not give a shit about it, you know. And the the depression was so fucking bad and just hating myself so much where I'm you know wanting to kill myself. I'm wanting to die because I'm 
ashamed at my addiction and I'm ashamed at who I am and, um, you know, my self-esteem being so bad that nobody gives a shit about me. You know, nobody gives a shit about who I am or what I'm capable of. Um, and I don't care about myself. There have been many a times where, you know, I would try to overdose. I would try to just end it all because the pain was just too fucking much. And, um, and then it got to a point where, you know, like tired of being on the streets. I had to sleep in my storage unit. And it's like a little five by five fucking, you know, um, the, um, the gates would close at night. So I had to be there before mm-hmm. night before they closed the gate and then being there all night long in a fucking storage unit, you know, but I'm higher than a kite. So I'm, you know, in there just letting my mind go off on a tangent. And um, it, it got to the point where you would think it'd be, you know, enough is enough, but no, that's still not fucking rock bottom, man, you know. Um, and it, it, it got sad, like, like my, my own family didn't want anything to do with me. Um, I had no more friends because it, 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 I fucked them over somehow or they fucked me over somehow or something happened. So, you know, I'm losing all the people around me. Um, at one point I moved to Portland to try to get clean and change my life. And my brother took me in up there. Um, it worked for a little while, but I never dealt with the addiction. I never dealt with the problem and it came back to bite me in the ass and I moved back down to California to jump right back in where I left off, you know, and, um, luckily I had, uh, my oldest brother took me in and let me sleep on his couch because, he was the only person that was there for me that would do anything. And, you know, I was living off of food stamps or, you know, basically I did like, was like a 200 bucks a month or, or something pathetic. And um, of course, as soon as that money came, I blew it all on fucking drugs as quick as I got it. It was gone, you know, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hustling, I'm running, running drugs for people, you know, to, just to try to, get my own fix, you know, um, and it all changed when, you know, in 2012, when I immigrated to Canada and, you know, changed my life around. So basically, uh, you know, after being through the gutter and my life couldn't get any worse. And, um, I met somebody that I, I fell in love with and, um, you know, she, um, was running a roofing company in Calgary and um, right on Calgary. That's right. right? Yeah. So, um, and she was, um, so you fell in love with a Canadian girl. That's what happened. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. So she was actually born yeah. and raised in California, but she moved oh. to Canada and married and divorced a, a Canadian. So she got her permanent residency and, um, at, and they had started a roofing company in Calgary and, um, um, I don't know if I should mention any names or maybe just better. I don't say it. Probably uh, better. You don't just in case, man, I don't want to get you in trouble. Yeah, okay. That's probably a good idea. Yeah. Um, and you know, and at the time, like I had just gotten out of a relationship. She'd just gotten, she was in the middle of a divorce. Um, it, you know, I, I didn't want to be with anybody. She didn't want to be with anybody, but we were introduced by her cousin and, um, and she's like, oh, you guys are going to be perfect for each other. You guys are like 
Yeah. And she was, she was right. It was like love at first sight. We fell in love and um, she knew I was using, but she was never like, she never used before. And um, I think she was like my beacon of hope in a way, you know, where I got sick and tired of, of having nothing and amounting to nothing and um, living in the streets and living um, that I finally saw it as an opportunity to, to um, get clean and change my life. You know, a lot of times you don't, um, you need a reason to really recover and, and get out of it, you know, and um, I think I, I saw that reason in her. So anyway, immigrated to, to Calgary. Uh, we lived out, uh, we lived in Bright Creek. Um, and as became a roofer, you know, working up there, I got my permanent residency. Um, so I got clean off of meth for the first time in my life. And um, this lasted um, eight years, eight and a half years, I was clean off meth, but I never dealt with my addiction. I never dealt with my problem. You know, the problem is I had, you know, demons in my closet, I had skeletons in the closet. I had all these like, traumas and stuff from, from my childhood that, that I never dealt with, you know? Um, the way I dealt with shit was I sweep it under the rug and pretend it doesn't exist and just hope it goes away. And that's how I deal with my problems because that's the only way I learned how to, you know? Um, you know, we had a fucked up dysfunctional family and that's how we dealt with our shit. We swept it under the rug and pretend like it didn't exist. And, um, you know, and if shit blows up in your face that way and, and you know, my family never taught me how to deal with feelings, never had taught me how to deal with problems. Um, we ran from our problems. We numbed our problems. We, you know, um, we did drugs. We, we did everything but deal with life on life's terms, you know. Um, so I basically disowned my family after moving to Canada and um, I would see them once every couple of years or something, you know, and just kind of moved on and started my own life. And, um, and, you know, things were going good, except for I never dealt with addiction, you know, um, I might've been clean from using, but I didn't deal with the problem. And so I started drinking, you know, I kept on smoking weed and I started drinking a lot and that became a slippery slope, uh, you know, a substitution. And I think the relationship itself became a substitution too, because here I was addicted to this concept of, of love and attachment and everything. But meanwhile, I'm, you know, pushing the envelope in, in terms of drinking and um, getting to the point where I'm drinking nonstop. I fucking driving home drunk on 22X, you know, flip the fucking truck in the ditch right there on, off of 22X and um, drunk off my ass. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I had to run and call somebody to pick me up before the RCMP came because had they had picked me up, you know, I would have been deported in, in a heartbeat, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I ended up, you know, um, the drinking, even then, it, it didn't stop, you know. I'd still drink. I'd still... Um, you know, try to control it, but it 
it, it, it controlled me, it owned me, you know. Um, even got a DUI later and, and um, which of course would ban me from citizenship or residency in Canada, but I, by the grace of God, you know, God looks out for me and I got a lawyer who <coughs> made it all go away. <laughs> wow. anyway, I didn't get charged. I got charged with the reckless driving and, and anyway, the long story on that one. But, um, so I guess, it, you know, my life was going good. So then, you know, I, I devoted myself back to my heart. I finally got uh, feel good about myself again. You know, the, the piece of shit scumbag that I was when I was using was gone, you know, and now I started getting a sense of self-worth and um, self-esteem and, and all these things that made me um, look up to the future and have a, have, you know, a bright, um, a bright road ahead of me and a chance of life, you know, everything was going good until my oldest brother died, passed away suddenly um, of a heart attack. Um, so I went down to California to go bury him and go deal with that. And after eight years of sobriety, I relapsed, you know, I, I couldn't deal with the pain. Um, I was having, you know, relationship issues that <coughs> Basically, I was kind of abandoned during that time. I'm mean, without going into details about that. It, um, I relapsed and I relapsed fucking hard. <laughs> um, you know, you don't, um, you don't start all over again. You know, you you end up where you left off, if not worse. You know, so. I started using again really heavily and, um, you know, drinking, using everything, just trying to numb the pain, trying to get rid of the fucking hurt that I was feeling, um, you know, and, and, and all the little things that little addicts on our shoulders tell ourselves like the angel and the devil, you know, little devils getting in your ear and saying, oh, it's okay. Nobody's going to know where, you know, we can, we can we can ride this out and you got the angel saying, okay, well, you better stop now because it's going to get out of hand, yada, yada, yada. Um, well, I, 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 I kept it up and I kept going and, um, and I kept it hidden from, you know, I mean, I, I learned how to hide it really good because earlier in my life, I, it became a functional addict where nobody knew I was using, you know, I was, back up my stories I was married briefly at one point for almost two years and uh, I, I didn't I didn't get into that part of the story mm -hmm. but and was using non-stop during that time and they had no fucking clue no one knew I mean I got really good at, at, at hiding my addictions and uh, so basically after this relapse you know I went back to my wife at, at the time this is wife number two um you know and we had kids we had a busy life together and um she had no idea i was using and i was using right under her nose and um the relapse lasted for um a year and a half about you know where i'm using daily and hiding it and and creating um 
fights and drama and everything just justify using, you know, um, um, we were living in uh, Mexico at the time. So we, we were going to Mexico for a couple winters and, and living there during the winter time. And, um, and, and that's when, you know, the shit got bad over there, you know, um, you know, um, I'm picking fights basically to justify my use, you know, to basically have a reason to take off and, and, and go, uh, go use. And, um, meanwhile, you know, I'm watching my family crumble around me, you know, I'm watching this, um, woman that I was madly in love with at the time and raising the family with, you know, watching everything turn to shit again, you know, and watching it, it self-destruct all around me, not giving a fuck about it. You know, it's watching it go, watching it crumble, watching it dissolve. But not only that, but I'm making it dissolve by my drug use, you know, and, you know, it didn't matter. Like all the good blessings in the world didn't fucking matter because getting high, finding that comfort and, and, you know, finding that uh, sense of identity in, in the drugs. Um, it's really what mattered, you know? And, uh, and so here I am watching my life crumble before me again, you know, and, and losing everything, losing my wife, losing my kids, losing, didn't fucking matter, you know, because it, nothing is, is as important as, as getting high. And so towards the end of that, you know, she moved back, um, uh, she went back to Canada and I took my kids and went to California from, you know, where my family is, because of course I knew that that's where I get the good drugs and I can go back to, you know, not having to hide it anymore. And, um, so I, I did that and, you know, she had found out that I was using and um, basically flipped out, of course, you know, went down there, got the kids, put the kids away um, and went back. Um, so by the time we, we had moved to the Yukon, you know, so we weren't, we're no longer in Alberta, but she went back to the Yukon and went and filed divorce and, um, Again, you know, here I am not giving a fuck, you know, um, I've, I've lost, I'm losing everything again, losing my work, losing my family, losing my children, losing my wife, losing my life, losing my family, everything and not caring because that drug has you by the soul so fucking much that nothing else matters and I got to the point again where it's I'm watching everything crumble around me and I'm, everything that I had precious in my life gone, being stripped away again. And it got to the point where, you know, I just, I couldn't, I, I couldn't take it again. I couldn't take it anymore. And you know, I knew I was better than that. And, and here I am again, watching everything 
dissolve around me and and just the self-hate and the self um pity and and basically so i checked myself into rehab i went back up to the yukon and and went into rehab and uh, it changed my life around again you know but this time you know took it seriously so being clean for eight years before that I wasn't really clean because I wasn't dealing with the problem you know it was like I didn't deal with the demons I didn't deal with the skeletons all I you know I thought that um addiction you know I'd never called myself an addict like like that you know an addict it's not a disease you know it's a it's a character flaw you know I justified it because I grew up I had a fucked up family with a fucked up upbringing and you know it's it just a, a character flaw. There's it's not a disease, you know. Um, but going through rehab and I don't know what happened, man. But something clicked. Something, you know. I finally looked at myself, looked at my actions as you know what. I have a fucking disease, man. I have a fucking disease, and it is a crippling, debilitating horrible fucking disease where you know it strips you of everything your livelihood your happiness your family your everything you hold near and dear in your life gone taken from you and you watch it crumble and you and you know um and now you know i've been um After after the rehab, you know, I, I took my disease seriously and I started going in a two or three meetings a day, and, you know, um, every single day. And I guess the thing that's different about this time around is, you know, I couldn't do it before. Like I, I tried to do it on my own. I didn't fucking work. Willpower doesn't work, you know. Um, not admitting that it's a disease, admitting it, you know, I think it's a character defect that doesn't work, you know, um, surrendering to a higher power, surrendering to the fact that it is a disease, I am powerless, and I would watch my life burn around me multiple times and, and be powerless to do anything about it, you know, but, um, you know, so now going into the rooms NA and um, finding a sponsor and um, which you've, you've interviewed my sponsor for um, Hugger John. Oh, Hugger John. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember him? Yeah, that's my sure. Of course I remember him. How could I forget Hugger John? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And, and, um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, all I want to say is, is, is like the community, the, the, the fellowship, like being, you know, finally I saw myself being included in something, you know, I, I saw the love and um, I, can't, I can't put it into words, like just how fucking amazing this program is and how amazing that every person in those rooms who has been through hell and back just as I have, you know, knows what I've been through, who's been there themselves and 
doesn't ostracize me because of it. You know, doesn't, I'm no longer the fucking weirdo um, piece of shit, you know, um, worthless fucking addict, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. I can't stress enough the power of the fellowship and being in in a program where um, the support that you receive and, or the support that I receive and the love is genuine, you know, it doesn't matter all the fucked up things I've done, it doesn't matter. You know, they love me for who I am and Mm -hmm. to finally feel that and to feel that I matter, you know, I've never mattered in my whole fucking life ever, you know, and and to be in that room and just to matter to somebody and to like, it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool, man. I got my life back, man. I got my fucking life after watching it crumble and, and, and losing it more than once and losing everything around me, like, um, you know, and it's through recovery and it's through an A. And even though I lost everything else in my life, you know, I have my life back and, mm-hmm. you know, the work I'm doing on myself, you know, I'm never going back to that again. I am never going to be a fucking back in addiction again. I'm finally dealing with myself in a way that, you know, I'm dealing with the demons in the closet, dealing with the skeletons in the closet, dealing with all the shit that uh, kept following me, you know, all my shadows. And um, and now I have my fucking life back, you know, you don't, you don't understand how it's like being a fucking puppet to this disease, you know, to basically, you know, living on the fucking streets, living in the gutter, living, you know, having to rob and steal and 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 break every law imaginable to get by just to get another fucking fix, just to get high, you know, um, and then to, to get your life back and to give it back on track in a way that, um, no, I, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world, man. And um, no, I, I feel like I've omitted a lot of the horrible, ugly details of, of you know, specifics of, mm-hmm. of, you know, my life in active addiction. But I, I don't know if it's really important for um, for the message. I guess it's only important if you think it is, man. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I think. What I really want to portray is just like, you know, the sense of hope, you know, the sense mm-hmm. of no matter what, no matter how bad things are, you know, there's something better. Mm-hmm. And if you're not dealing with yourself, if you're not dealing with you know, the things that are holding you back and kept you imprisoned in, 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 in that lifestyle, you know, um, so easy to be consumed by it. It's so easy to be hopeless and be helpless. And it's so easy to, it's easier just to stay high and forget about your problems than it is to, you know, stand up and then deal with things. And um, I, 
I feel like I'm like I'm <laughs> I feel like I sugarcoated things a little bit too much, but uh um, oh, I don't think you did, man. I think you 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 shared exactly how you needed to share. Everyone does it a little bit differently, right? Yeah. There's no like right way or wrong way, man. The way that works for you best is right. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing. Is there anything else you want to talk about, Matt? Anything you want to say to somebody out there, maybe who's alone in the dark? Well, you know, anybody out there who's struggling, you know, it's like I, I, I know, I know the pain, I know the desperation, you know, and. and you know, now that I'm in recovery and and, and, and like you know, I'm, I'm helping all the newcomers that are coming in, and I'm there. I'm I'm available to talk to everybody because I, I know what it's like, and, and it's literally the equivalent of demonic possession. And because the person you become, you know, it, it everything you think, everything you do, everything you believe is is it's not you you know it's um it it's hard it's hard when you're in the middle of it and you can't see the light down the tunnel but you know um everybody out there who's struggling you know it, it, it is worth it um, it all starts with reaching out it all starts with being sick and tired of being sick and tired you know you can only hit rock bottom so many times before you finally um want to do something about it and it's so fucking hard when it's all you've ever known and all you've ever you know uh, all i can say is, is is reach out reach out because there's people out there who care about you and want to help you see through it and there's people out there who know the struggle and will you know do everything in their power to, to help guide you over to the life you know um, it's lonely at the bottom and it's there's only so much pain and trauma you can take before you you finally you know sick of it and you know the, the love is out there the hope is out there right on excellent clayton well thank you so much man it's uh great talking to you um yeah give your uh give your sponsor a cyber hug because i know you guys aren't in the same place but uh so let me ask you a question about alaska because i mean obviously it's beautiful up there um in the winter do you see polar bears up there like where you are <laughs> um no so the polar bear is a little running joke i have with um you know uh somebody out there um <laughs> no there, there is no polar bears here uh okay. but it's I, I i joke about them and and you know i tell people that yeah you know i gotta take the penguins to work and get workers <laughs> up here and polar bears but um you do know how to make a polar bear trap though right you do yeah just so walk out you gotta, in the snow, I imagine, and wait for them. <laughs> pretty much. You know, you go out to like the frozen lakes. There's frozen lakes and stuff out here everywhere, right? Yeah. You go and you got to go and like you cut like a big hole in the ice. Um, 
on a frozen lake, you know, and you get like a can of um, peas, you know, like green, green peas. And you go and you got to get them and you got to put them like around the hole and all the way around it. And then you go run and hide, like you said, right? You sit there and wait and you wait for the polar bear to come up. And when the polar bear, when he bends over to take a pea, you pick him in the ice hole. <laughs> every time man. i love it man alaska humor i yeah. love it yeah <laughs> that's great alaska's like, a trip man. It's, it's, yeah, man. so i'm working in um i'm in the uh, yupik um eskimo community so um okay. doing some art projects out, out that's here interesting so so you do you guys down in the states do you guys still refer to to the folks out there as eskimos yeah, so there's yeah. there's because we we call them uh, the Inuit peoples, right? Inuit peoples of the north. Yeah. Well, yes and no. So um, where I'm at is is the Yupik people, and they have no problem being called Eskimo. They Yupik, okay, Yupik yeah. people. That's right. Okay. Inuits, however, do not like being called Eskimos. Inuits, yeah. it's very derogatory to call them Eskimos. And but that's they, because it's a different it's a different uh, reference altogether, right? You would think so, but the lifestyle and the culture is is very, very, very similar. But mm. for some reason, there is a discrepancy. I mean, it's like the same thing as um, in Canada. You know, it, it's First Nations. You know, you don't. Um, mm. You know, in in the lower forty eight, they call them Indians. Mm -hmm. But calling well, and, Indians and even, to even the indigenous people down south, they 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 think it's a point of pride to be called an Indian, right? Where well, yeah, that's, Americans, that's all they call them is Indians, you know. Yeah, but you and we were, we were referring to, to the First Nations or Indigenous people of Canada. Yeah, yeah, you call them Indians. That's that's, that's derogatory. It's that's yeah. like calling them yeah. racist, you know. Yeah, well, it's interesting because yeah. we we don't refer to um, any peoples as Eskimos anymore. It's uh, we consider Inuit, or as you just pointed out, that there's a Yupik. There's a different, mm -hmm. or sorry, what what was the word you used? Yeah, you pick is, is, is yeah. So that's that probably a yeah. That makes sense to me. I, I just I was curious about it because I know that even though we share a border, um, we have some pretty huge differences in how we like refer to well other cultures, right? Like it's pretty interesting. But anyway, yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you for coming on, Clayton. I, I feel like not only did I learn something, thank you. Um, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, my pleasure, man.